I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. And, with apologies to Barry Manilow, this week's movie is Mandy, week three of Nicolas Cage month. What was intended to be good and bad Nicolas yeah. Cage. Is there really a distinction? I'm starting to wonder that more and more. So Mandy is a film from 2018 that Rob is coming in fairly blind on. Uh, This was one of my selections. I'm just going to go straight to it. What did you know going in and what did you make of it? I had read the synopsis. I almost think you shouldn't have read the synopsis. Well, all I read was the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their deeper demon biker henchmen propelling a man into a spiraling surreal rampage of vengeance which doesn't tell you a lot about this movie but also completely sums up this movie yes but it doesn't you know so that's all i knew going into it i had looked at one award it had been the hit one or something like that i don't remember what it is off the top of my head i'm sure we'll look at it here in a minute and that it was directed by pan directed and written by Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, and we'll talk um, about Panos. But that's all I knew going into it. I also knew that this was on our list as a bad Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah. This is, of the three we've watched thus far, this is the one I respect the most. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm not saying it's it's really good. You know what? I, I agree with you. It is it is the most respectable. It is the most authorial in its vision. It is the best use, I think, of Nicolas Cage that we've yet encountered. Well, we have commented in movies we've watched before that if you're going to go down a certain road, you should commit to it and just do it. This movie commits to its premise. Yeah. And follows its premise wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, it was a very distinct film. So, I forget how I heard about it originally, but my sister... I, I think because she's a big Elijah Wood fan, and Elijah Wood was a producer of this film, became aware of it. And one of the times when I came up to Boise to visit, the plan was she was she hadn't seen it, but she had access to it. She was gonna we were gonna watch it, but it didn't work out. And I just I wonder what was the thought process there? It's a weird looking Nicolas Cage movie. My brother might like that. We'll watch that when he comes up. But that didn't work out. This film came out in two thousand eighteen. I didn't see it till two thousand nineteen, but I did see it in the the theater. Really? Saw it at the Tower Theater. They had their summer okay. movie series. I saw it with a moderately full theater, actually. Hmm. And my initial impression was I was just kind of flummoxed by it. I was looking for... It's about something deeper, right? I was looking for that and trying to figure, figure out what it was about. I frankly enjoyed it a lot more on second viewing because I realized how funny this movie is. Yeah. I don't know that I caught a lot of humor, per se. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's so intense and strange. Yeah. I think maybe, like, I was looking back at the review I wrote of this at the time, and I said, I think I'm going to have to see it again to figure out how I really think about it and what I really feel about it. Because you're just kind of overwhelmed yeah. by the intensity of it and the weirdness of it. I almost think that not seeing it on the big screen for the first time seeing it might help with that because it, it's not as I could see how on a big screen this could be I mean the kind sensory of overwhelming overload, yeah. yeah but on a little bit smaller screen that intensity translates into 
it just translates a little bit differently. Yeah. And so you're, I think, able to follow and process a few things a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Just in terms of, like, looking at the plot and going, okay, is there something deeper to this? Or, you know, they're moving on from this so fast it can't be much deeper. It's kind of a pastiche of things. It's, it's everything that a 1980s parents were afraid their kid would get into. Uh-huh. It's got biker gangs, it's got the occult, it's got Satanism, it's got drugs, it's got uh, sci-fi fantasy cover art. Yeah. It's got all it's those got things. It's got anime. It's got anime. Yeah. Uh, which at the time I think was referred to as Japanimation. That's what I remember from the 80s. It's set in 1983. It is the second film by Panos Cosmatos, who is the son of a, a Greek director and a Swedish sculptor was born in Rome and raised in Canada. Hmm. And his father is George P. Cosmodos, who you would know as the director of Tombstone, which is very different than this movie. He also directed Rambo. Panos has some sort of credit in Tombstone. I, I didn't catch oh. what he has a credit for in that, but he has a credit in Tombstone. But he also directed Rambo First Blood Part Two, and a film called Escape from Athenia which is kind of a low-budget uh, wannabe um, The Great Escape yeah. in the late 70s that even I had a really hard time <laughs> getting through. The one other film that uh, Panos had made before this was a film called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I saw a week or two after I saw this film the first time. Okay. This is only the second time I've seen this. Because I was so struck by his visual style and sense. and I'm like, what's these larger themes that he's he's after. I wanted to find out more about what he was about. So I rented this 2010 Canadian production, which has a number of similarities to this, both stylistic and, and visuals. And both films are set in 1983. And both films are very critical of New Age religion, which is an interesting through line. And I, I'm, I'm kind of curious about why he has these strong feelings about hippie cults. And in the case of... Beyond the Black Rainbow, a Scientology-type organization. And in fact, the plot of that movie centers on a young woman with psychic powers who is being tested in a facility run by a Scientology-type group. And it is very reminiscent of the Eleven storyline from the series Stranger Things, though it came out you know, five years before that show came out. Yeah. That, that movie is much more boring. In this movie, it's very okay. very slow. This this film, this film, Mandy is two movies, really. It divides at about the halfway point. Yeah, kind of, and it has kind of a weird chapter format. Yeah, and it that, that, that it doesn't maintain really throughout. Have. Like they, that's in the early part, and then really it, early on, and, and then, then it's then, like they abandon that. Yeah. So the first half is Nicolas Cage, and his wife, Mandy, played by Andrea. Reisenbaugh, who I know as Stalin's daughter in The Death of Stalin. Okay. And she's she's a working actress. She shows up in a lot of things. They kind of plainified her here. They made her look kind Absolutely. of odd and plain, but she's a very pretty yeah. woman. They are living in a cabin out in the Oregon countryside. He's a logger. She is a painter, reads a lot of bad science fiction, and works part-time at a convenience store. And as she's walking to work, she is spotted by this cult in a van. The leader of the cult becomes enamored by her, and they go. They track her down and abduct her at night, and they take Nicolas Cage out into the woods and tie him up. 
and he tries to have his way with her sexually but, and drugs her for that purpose, but she laughs at him. Yeah. And he is... Jeremiah Sand played by Linus Roach. And he is a failed musician who somehow got a cult built around him and has some very devoted followers. Yeah. They'll do whatever crazy thing he comes up with And he's a doing. big fan of the Carpenters. He is a big fan of the Carpenters. That's one of the the funny lines in this film. This film has got a, a number of funny lines. The one where he's trying to seduce her and says, Do you like the Carpenters? I think that they are sensational. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway... She laughs at him, and that makes him very angry. And so they burn her to death in front of Nicolas Cage. And the second half is after he gets out of his restraints, goes into home, his home, watches a commercial for something called Demon Cheddar Cheddar Goblin. Yeah, Cheddar Goblin, and it's macaroni cheese. a macaroni and cheese brand. And it's a disturbing spoof of an 80s commercial. Yeah, the goblin coming out of the mounds of macaroni and cheese, and it's kind of Gremlins-esque. And vomiting macaroni and vomiting cheese onto the kids' and plates. And, the kids. And... and he goes into this horrible yellow bathroom, and he, he screams, and he gets a bottle. He's walking around in his Tiger's T-shirt and his tidy whities and he's drinking his bottle of liquor, and he's screaming. And then the next morning, he goes over to Bill Duke's trailer. Bill Duke is a regular in these kind of uh, 80s action films. He was in Commando. He was in Predator. And... There's some kind of backstory here that's not completely elucidated. It's like, I came for my stuff, and he came for some weapons. Bill Duke gives him some additional weapons. Tells him that this gang that he describes as the Spiker gang, the guy that made the LSD for him, like, spiked the LSD, and they became, like, crazy evil. Yeah. Or as Nicolas Cage describes them, weirdo hippie types, bikers and gnarly psychos, crazy evil and he goes out to it becomes a revenge movie and he he kills all four bikers and about a half dozen or so members of the gang leaving to live the one lady who seemed like she wasn't entirely into it the the most traditional hippie the one who seems most innocent kind of a captive of this group and he's kind of like okay she can live but i'm gonna kill everybody else yeah i think that was sister lucy played by Linnae Pillay. Yeah. And then, I mean, it just goes crazier and crazier. You get to the point where there is a chainsaw fight between Nicolas Cage and one of the cultists. And as I'm watching that, that scene, I'm like, you know, you got a Nicolas Cage chainsaw fight, you have reached peak Nicolas Cage. It's <laughs> like, you can't get more Nicolas Cage than a chainsaw fight. Yeah. So it is, it is a surreal intense film with with a with a color scheme like the way this film is lit was was lit the colors really weird pop. reds and blues weird reds and, and blues yeah the scene early on with the lake it's like he is in a magic eye painting when yeah. he's on that boat um, well and the face melding at a couple points yeah. with jeremiah sand played by linus roach and mandy um yeah the, the Jeremiah and Mandy face melds, yeah. those are kind of weird. There's definitely some David Lynch in this. I feel like this was either written, filmed, or intended to be watched on like an acid trip or LSD yeah. or something. Yeah. I can see that. It's a trippy movie, man. Yeah. More thoughts? Like I said, I, I'm what I'm really struggling, struggling with right now is how am I going to rate this film? Uh-huh. Because 
I respect this film, but is this a great film? Is this a film I'm going to widely recommend to people? Probably not. I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to recommend it widely to a lot of people. There are people who would enjoy this and I feel like we should be watching this in October. Yeah. Is this a great movie? No. No. But so, but I respect it. Like I said, they commit to what they're trying to do and they commit wholeheartedly to this and they maintain it throughout and it's just odd. And it's such a particular movie. Yeah. Like this is a, this is, nobody else would make this movie. This is very much one man's vision and and it shows these really particular interests and he's really committed to it. And, and the, the weird tiger things, you know, imagery throughout. And yeah, yeah. There's there's but, a lot of odd stuff about this. There's you know, the visuals go into the the sci-fi visuals periodically. Insects, you know, the biker gang is is weird. Yeah, almost kind of a little bit mechanized. Drinking blood, you know, all of those. The, there's a lot of tropes here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird stuff in this. But visually, and, and it's very dark. I, I, you at the very beginning of this film, you walked around your apartment turning off every light, and I'm glad you did, uh-uh. because otherwise, there's a lot of stuff that would have gotten lost. This is a like the the imagery and the way this is filmed. It's all dark. You've got to yeah. watch this in the dark to be able to catch the imagery of this. Yeah, it's it is a film meant to be seen in the dark. Yeah, and it is you know it's, it's a dark film. Yeah. What was the experience like this seeing this in the theaters with a group of people? Well, it was it was as I said it was kind of intense and I didn't know what to make of it because sometimes you have to watch a film twice really to to know what to to make of it. Cause first time you're like, well, "What what is this?" And now that I kind of know what what it is, then I can kind of experience more because I'm not so much trying to figure it out. How did it seem to be received by the other people in the theater? Um, cuz you said I it was relatively crowded. It was, it crowded. was relatively crowded. I'm not I don't remember a lot of laughter. I think there was periodic laughter, but I, I just, I, I was approaching a much more kind of as a straight production. Yeah. And I think it's really kind of satirical and some of the line deliveries are just really odd. Yeah. I I think, I think, I think this is a satire of just eighties tropes and of new age religions and of you know that Mandy's an interesting character because she's she's kind of quiet and at the very end of the film she's really not in a lot of this film either no she's hardly in it yeah but she is obviously the motivating factor for basically everything yeah. that happens in it but you know she's she's this quiet kind of nerdy girl and that conversation her and Nicolas Cage have early on about your favorite planet yeah and they're watching this crappy science fiction film, and Nicolas Cage is kind of watching it, and she like her eyes are like real intense. It's like she's really into this film that looked horrible. Yeah. Um, so she's she's an interesting type that you don't see in film that much. But if you're kind of nerdy, you know kind of people like this, or you've encountered them over the years. I certainly have. Yeah. I like that it was set in 1983. Yeah. Some of the uh, you know the period tech and I. I I think they should release the soundtrack to this film and give it the cover of the bat of, of Jeremiah's <laughs> album. Yeah. Well, and do you did you write down the opening of like the opening title sequence no, of I've, this? Uh, I I know the gist of it, but didn't write it down word for word. But it's a little poem about when, when I, die, I die. Put some headphones around my head head and let me rock while I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, which is an interesting 
way to, to start a film and kind of set the tone, I guess. Yeah. At the Cannes Film Festival, Cosmatos described it as a film about the death of his parents. I do want to see Cosmatos do more stuff because I think he's just so distinct. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's only made two films and he made his first one in 2010 and this one in 2018. I think whatever he makes his third film, it should also be set in 1983 and it should be the 1983 trilogy. Yeah. There's similarities between Jeremiah Sand and Charles Manson. I'm kind of glad I didn't know that going into it, yeah. but I can see it. The moment you said that, I, I'm like, yeah, favorite yeah. musician. The Cheddar Goblin commercial was directed by Casper Kelly, who directed the Adult Swim short Too Many Cooks. Have you seen Too Many Cooks? Did I show no. that to you? No. Uh, at some point. It, maybe not tonight, but at some point you should see Too Many Cooks. So, what are your final uh, summations? How would, how would you rate this movie? You know, I'm I'm kind of torn between a five and a six on this. Yeah. Again, I respect how well how hard they committed to what they were doing, to a point that this gets bumped up a little bit in my estimation. But at the same time, it's just it's it really isn't a great film. And it is sometimes boring. Yeah, because, there are a few because boring it parts. is it is slow. It's yeah. it's not in a hurry. Yeah, and the film doesn't take itself seriously, so the. Some of the goofs that occur in the film, like the, when he's forging his weapon, he's forging it out of like tin or, you know, something like that. But because the movie doesn't take itself seriously, it's hard to criticize that. Mm. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really torn between five and six stars on the ten star scale. Probably one and a half on the, on the four star scale. Mm. How would you rate this film? When I originally rated it, and, and I was, and I even wrote in my review, I was like, I'm still not sure, but I had that being torn between the flaws of the film and the fact that the film stretches things longer than they need to be stretched, I think partially intentionally, and just being so enamored with the distinctiveness of it, I gave it three stars. But on second viewing, I would give it, I think, two and a half. Yeah. Which is usually where my guilty pleasures go. Yeah. And I would give it six on the ten star scale. Yeah. Uh, there are just some... I can see this being described as a guilty pleasure. Yeah, this this is cult movie written all over it. Besides the fact that you know it's it's about a cult, it's yeah. also a cult movie in the wider sense. I'm genuinely surprised that this hasn't come up in one of our like October the you know horror uh, movie months, and I might recommend this to some people this October. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really different. It's like it's it's kind of kind of hard to. I can't to think of anything to compare, to compare it, it to. to. I can't think of anything like it. Melinda asked me before I came over tonight. She goes, "So is this some sort of like Wicker Man homage?" Which I haven't seen Wicker Man. Well, you've seen well, the I saw the yeah. Wicker Man, but not the Nicholas Cage one. But I don't. I don't think it is. No, it's it's its own thing. Yeah, it is its own thing. Really, the closest thing that I can think of to it is Twin Peaks, in part with the setting and the mood. And the bad guy in this actually kind of looks like Bob, who's a bad guy in that. And I think that's kind of intentional. A reading about it had also been compared to Stanley Kubrick. Okay. So he's gotten a lot of stylistic kudos, Cosmos has. But again, so early in his career, having set, you know, just two films, I think there's a lot of promise there. But I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see it mature and take more form. But, but this is certainly a very interesting film. Yeah. Do you know anything about how this did in the box office? Not well. It cost about six million to make, and I want to say it made around one and a half million. 
I was curious if you knew, but because I hadn't looked at that. Yeah, like you said, estimated budget is six million. Its opening weekend domestically was two hundred and twenty-five thousand. Its U.S. gross was one point two million, with a worldwide gross of one point five million. So that might make it kind of harder for him to make more films if they're making this guy, you know, losing that that much money. But I think somebody's eventually going to give him another paycheck. Yeah, and well, and this was put together by Heinz Fifty Seven of production. You know. Yeah, there are so many. Yeah, and so I, I'm sure that at some point he'll piece together another group of of productions yeah. and. And I noticed that one of them was called X Y Z Productions, which I'm pretty sure is a front for some kind of French scam. Yeah. History nerd joke. Yeah. What was uh so Elijah Wood was a, credited as a producer. producer. Mm-hmm. Do you know how involved he was? I don't know, but he's had a thing in recent years, especially for, for horror films. He started in a number of them and I guess he produces them. Mm-hmm. Well again, I've I've never seen anything like this. Who would you recommend this to or would you recommend this to anyone and under what circumstances? That's a good question. I think this works at, in any you know, like if someone's doing a horror film yeah. theme. Anybody that likes really weird, kind of out there, different filmmaking, somebody with particular interest in the 80s or science fiction fantasy. Uh, so I, I can see myself, not that I know people that do this, but I'm recommending this to people who play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's kind of a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Fun. Well, anything else to add on this movie? No, there's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a weird one. Uh, know that going in or don't know anything going in i mean it's going to be a trip either way yeah well i'm rob and i'm nate and this is rob and nate record a podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh we forgot vicious snowflake uh vicious snowflake that was my favorite shirt you ripped my shirt it's all on you buster I like to call that the cherry on top. Knock, knock. Who's there? Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada who? Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> they went heavy on the 80s early on. They wronged you. Why they gotta be like that?